in Joshua for several weeks, and uh, you know what started off as a series, get ready, um, has turned into, into more than just a series, more than just uh, some sermons, but it's really turned into a passage that God is uh, calling us to live. Uh, I think like never before have I felt the message really be, man, this is just, we're actually living this sermon uh, series right now, and it's been exciting. But I want to recap a little bit this morning of what we've talked about over the last several weeks before I get into the meat of what I feel God wants me to say this morning. But for 40 years, the Israelites wandered the desert, right? Wandered in the wilderness because their parents before them really lacked the courage and lacked the faith and lacked the trust to trust God to go into the promised land. Uh, 40 years earlier with Moses, they had sent 10 spies out, and you know the story. Eight came back, and they were really discouraging and they were basically sowing fear into the, into the minds of, 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 of the people. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, actually said, no, we believe God will give us this land and that we can do this. And what they were afraid of were the Canaanites who were just this really strong people. And so they came back, these, these spies came back with this report and they said, man, man, we felt like grasshoppers ourselves and we looked like grasshoppers to them. And they are too powerful us, for us. And, and this land is everything that God said it would be but there's no way we can take this. We will get slaughtered in this land. And so they gave in to fear, and as a result, they wanted the wilderness for 40 years, never really embracing and walking in the promise that God had for them. And so they died in the wilderness, and so we find 40 years later, their children, led now by Joshua, they're camped on the east side of the Jordan. God brings them back because his promises remain the same for his people. And so they find themselves camped on the east side of the Jordan, looking towards the promised land, looking towards this land of promise that God had for them, where where they were meant to be 40 years earlier, had it not been for fear that kept them from inheriting that land. And with all of that excitement, there were some big obstacles that actually kept them from inheriting it at that moment. With all the excitement as they can see it, there's a, there's a massive obstacle right before them, and it's this rushing, raging, flooding Jordan River. It's harvest time, and during that time, this river just floods. And so there's this big obstacle right in front of them uh, that's this barrier between them and the promise that God has for them. So it's not an easy way. They're standing there, looking towards the future, towards the promise, in the midst of what God is telling them, hey, this is the land I have for you. But in order to get there, they have to cross a difficult obstacle, a scary obstacle. We also know that they're under new leadership. One of the first things that God says to Joshua is, hey, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. All right, at a crucial time, none of us like changes in leadership. But God does this change in leadership, and, and God takes Moses home to be with him. And he says to Joshua at this crucial moment in time, right before they're about to inherit this promised land, hey, guess what? Moses is dead. You're the new leader. You're now in charge. Now you get ready. You and all of these people, estimated about 2 million Israelites, get ready to cross this river and go into the land that I've promised to the Israelites to give them. And so Joshua, he's a new leader. I mean, he's a confident military leader, but he's never been the man in charge. And so he's got the weight of that responsibility. This is really his first act of leadership, which is kind of terrifying. He's got two million people probably looking at him, maybe even second-guessing him, probably wishing that Moses was still around because at least Moses had some kind of track record here as a leader. 
And so with all of these things going on, he now also comes face to face with the fact that this is a very real obstacle that stands before him and, and the promise that God has for, for, for the people. And in that first encounter really with God, God doesn't give Joshua this game plan. All he says to him is, Moses is dead, and you and all these people get ready to cross into the land that I'm about to give to you. I've said this before, but if, 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 I, if Joshua is anything like me, man, when God speaks to me that way, I always want a game plan. I, I don't really like God to say, hey, someone, here's the plan, and, you know, you just got to follow me. I'm always trying to get some kind of process, some kind of organization, some kind of plan together, so I just feel a little bit more comfortable if I've got some kind of control, at least to be able to say, hey, we're going to go this way, then we're going to do this, and some kind of step by step. But God doesn't give Joshua that, not initially. He just says, get ready. In spite of this obstacle, get ready to cross. He says to him, I'm going to give you every place where you put your foot. And he says, I'm going to give you this large amount of land, which, by the way, is inhabited by the Canaanites. And there is Jericho there, which has been around for a couple thousand years, and it's this picture of military strength and power. And so I'm going to give you this land that's currently occupied, but, but Joshua, be strong and courageous. And he says that to him several times. In fact, he says, do not be terrified. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And so despite these imperfect conditions, God gives Joshua this promise. And the Israelites, hey, I'm going to take you into this land. You know, many of us would rather God wait and give us perfect conditions before we would move on his promises. A whole lot of us don't like to move when things are imperfect. In fact, God, when God moves in our lives, so many times we go, man, God promises us something, and between us and that promise is a very real obstacle and very real fear. And sometimes that fear and that obstacle really prevent us from moving, and we kind of justify our lack of faith or our complacency by somehow saying, God, when you remove that obstacle ahead of time, before I even have to get up and move towards it, then I will move. That's not how God works. God said, no, in the midst of the impossible, in the midst of this obstacle being very real, I want you to prepare and tell the people, get ready to go. That's an uncomfortable place to be. But God does this. God calls us into the impossible sometimes. We just have to make sure that we're following him and not following somebody else or following our own desires. And so this is a moment of decision for Joshua. It's a scary place, and it's a scary place for us. I was telling First Service, and I've said this a few weeks ago too, you know, there are times in our lives where God does amazing miracles, right? There are times where God heals us. There are times when, when, when we can look back on our lives and find, remember when we were drifting from God or we weren't even anywhere near Him, and maybe our life was a complete mess and we had tried everything else. And in our desperation, we call out to God and He steps in and He heals us and He delivers us and He sets us free. And it's very much a miracle. And in our sickness, how He heals us. But so many times in our lives, we, we, we find God moving when we get to that point where we have no other choice. We're desperate. We hate where we are. We've tried everything else and God is our last resort. What I, what I 
am encouraged and challenged by personally in this kind of challenge to, to Joshua is they weren't in a place really of desperation. In fact, the land that they were actually standing on, there were three tribes that already wanted that land and God had given it to them. They said, okay, you can stay here, but you have to go ahead of your people and you're not going to be able to come back and, and actually occupy your land until everybody gets the land that I've promised them. So the land that they were living in and were currently occupied wasn't bad land. It just wasn't the land that God had for them. For most of them. And so for them to step out, they were kind of comfortable. For them to step out was stepping out not out of desperation, not out of, hey, I hate where I am and I've tried everything else. It was more of this, man, I God, I want to be where you are and I want to go where you want me to go. But man, I'm kind of comfortable here. It's all right here. Maybe it's not perfect or great. And, and, and if the scary part about it was that for them to make that move, they were actually moving to something that was dangerous and or terrifying. They were moving towards a flooding river. They were moving towards an occupied land where they wouldn't be welcomed warmly. We mentioned Moses. Same kind of thing. Moses had fled Egypt. He had murdered someone. He murdered a, an Egyptian and he had fled and he had been tending a sheep for 40 years. The sheep weren't his. The land wasn't his. So it wasn't a great place for him, but he wasn't about to die. He probably would like to have been to other places. Then God speaks to him out of that and says, Hey, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. They've come before my ears, and I'm going to deliver them, and I'm sending you. And Moses says, Hold on a second. See, it's that moment, too, where, where God says, Man, I'm sending you back to Egypt. Wait, you're going to send me back to a place where I'm actually wanted for murder? You want to send me back to a place which is difficult, back to a place where I'm not welcomed? Man, it's actually more comfortable here. My life isn't great, but right now it looks a whole lot better here than it does over there because it's scary, the obstacles. And so it's that moment in time where God moves in our lives, and he does it to you and he does it to me. Where he calls us, where we go, man, maybe I'm okay where I am. But God, I, I want to be where you are and what you're calling, to me, calling me to. Man, it's exciting, but it's terrifying at the same time. And we find this wrestling taking place in our lives. Man, what am I going to do? And it's at that point, like we said a couple of weeks ago, when we cease just to talk about Scripture and read Scripture and memorize Scripture, but we start living Scripture. It's at that point where you step from the, from, from the complacency and the safety into the impossible, into the plan that God has for you, and you go by his plan and not your own. God didn't give him a plan until a little bit later on. They had to make these decisions in the face of a, of a raging river. Joshua had to determine, okay, man, we've got to get ready to tell these people. They had to pack their stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's so tempting in life to start trying to come up with plans when God doesn't give you all the details. Got to hear, in fact, we, we got to hear uh, a, a wonderful um, speaker this past week, and uh, he was talking about God's process. It was actually really, really cool because everything we've been doing, it was just another confirmation, like God's just been speaking to us, saying, man, I, and so I was just typing as fast as I could with my thumbs on my phone, and I'm not a good texter or typer with that thing, so I was going to get as much as I possibly could, and I couldn't get everything, but one of the things that he said was, God's process always involves a miracle. God's process, God's plan always involves a miracle, and sometimes what we're guilty of is we take somebody else's process, 
We look at what God did for them, and we take their process and go, oh, that was their process over there, and we take it, and we try and take that process and apply it to us here. He likened it to if you're cutting out, if you're a, a carpenter, and you're cutting wood, and you, cut, you measure the first piece out, and you cut it, and then you use it as a template for the next piece, and you cut the next piece. And then you use that piece that you just cut as a template for the next piece. Guess what? It changes over time. And if you keep doing that, whatever you're building is going to be slightly off because you're not using the original template. You know, we do that as Christians all the time, don't we? Well, this is how God moved for this person. Therefore, it must be how he wants to move for me. Well, was that the revelation he gave you? If not, how do you know it was the plan that he has for you? So instead of seeking God, we seek other people's plans. He told the story, and I, I didn't even think about this, but I loved it. He said, he said, you know what? Remember when God promised Abraham Isaac? He comes to Abraham and Sarah, and he says, man, you're going you're gonna to have this child. And, and obviously, you guys know the story. They're well in age, and, and, and they're past childbearing age. And, and, and so the whole thing is a miracle, but Abraham hoped against hope that this was going to happen. And the promise takes a whole lot longer than they thought. In fact, we know that the promise takes 25 years, right? To be fulfilled. But during that time, what happens to Abraham? He gets a little impatient. He begins to think and think, well, man, maybe I should, maybe what God wants me to do is something else. Maybe he wants me, maybe I've got a role in this. And he starts developing a bit of a plan on how maybe it might be that God wants to carry this out. And so he says, well, here's my maidservant. You know, what if God wants me to do this through her? And guess what? He comes up with his own plan that is not God's, and Ishmael's born. And Ishmael's and Isaac's don't get along, do they? In fact, Ishmael's and Isaac's don't live together. And if we're not careful, if we don't start following our own processes, and we take our process and push it into God's plan, guess what we give birth to? Ishmael's. I think there are a whole lot of Ishmael's running around that never were supposed to be running around. And then Ishmael's fight the promise of God. They don't live and dwell well together. So we're not interested in Ishmael's. And we've got to be careful that we follow God's plan and not take our own plan and try to help God with what he's doing because he's not moving according to our plans and our times. Amen? All right, so here they are. They're at this. I'm going to get sidetracked. But they're, they're at this moment, right, where God has said to Joshua, listen, I've, there's no plan right now. You just get ready and, and take on this Jordan River. And he talks about the promise and everything on the other side. And if it's me, I'm going, God, what about the river? It's kind of big. It's kind of huge. But God doesn't give them the plan until it's the day of. And then he tells Joshua, listen, you get the priest together and carry the Ark of the Covenant, which we know represents God's presence with his people. He says, you pass in front of the people and then you start walking towards this flooding, raging river. And by the way, Joshua, tell the people to stay back a thousand yards. It's like I can only imagine the people are gathered up, whatever that looked like, two million of them, but their things are packed, they're ready to go, they're they're getting ready to go into this impossible situation. Their eyes are fixed on this river. They've been camped out there for three days. You know, we talked about that, right? The longer you camp out next to an obstacle, the bigger it kind of becomes in your mind. You, you go to sleep hearing the rushing river. You wake up hearing the rushing river. You're maybe going down and checking it every morning to see if it's changed a little bit, maybe shrunk a little bit, some kind of sign that God's about to do something but nothing. And you see limbs and debris being washed down. And it's raging. And so this obstacle is very real and the fear is very real. And they've been there. 
And so it's that day, and God says, man, nothing's changed in this obstacle. It still exists. But Joshua, you get your priests together, and let them carry my presence, my ark, and I'm going to go ahead of the people. Faith is strong a great distance away, isn't it? God gives you a promise and says, hey, listen, you know, I want you to do this. You go, man, that's six months from now. And you're like, and you're, you're like God has got this. This is great. And you get closer. Nothing's changed. I thought God had this. Man, God, would you do something? Well, I'm sure it wasn't much different for them. God gave them the plan. He even said, look, you go and stand in the water. But you know how we are with God's promises. We kind of want to see something happen. I'm taking some liberties here, but I think we're dealing with humans. And I think we're dealing with people just like us. And I know how we think. But I can only imagine maybe as they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant towards the water, they started a thousand yards, and then maybe they're full of faith. Man, God's about to do this. And, and they get to 800 yards, and they're saying, okay, nothing's happened yet. God, can, can there be some rumbling or something? So just some kind of something happening so I can be encouraged that you're getting ready. You're fixing to, to square this away. You get to 500 yards, and you're now thinking, man, did I hear God right? At least that's what I do. I always believe God has the authority and the power to do all things. I don't really question him, but I question my ability to hear him. So I find myself at these kinds of times as I get closer going, God, did you really say this? I mean, God, I really, any time now would be really, really good. And then you get to 200 yards away and, and nothing's changed. And now you're going, oh man, this could be bad. And you're walking closer and closer, 100 yards, 50 yards, 10 yards and the minute God's presence enters into the impossible, it really becomes possible. And it isn't till that happens. And so the priests go and they step into the water. And the Bible tells us that the water is piled up, not a short distance away, not 10 feet away, but a great distance away. And so God creates a, not just a narrow path a, a, across the impossible, but a huge path across the impossible. The water's piled up a great distance away. That means it was wide. There was a dry riverbed. You could tell it was a river that used to, flood, to, to run there, but I'm not even sure they could see the water. And so this massive path is opened up. And so we love this because what happens is God tells the priest, man, take the, take the Ark of the Covenant, and he positions himself right in the middle of the impossible, right in the middle of the obstacle. And the Scripture tells us that they stand firm in the middle of this thing, and they stand. So they, he leads the way into this before any of the Israelites get in, and he stands in the middle of this obstacle, and he stays there until the entire nation crosses through. And isn't that awesome when you really understand that's how God moves in our lives? Man, he goes in ahead of you. He goes in first and he comes out last. And it's not until you go through safely on the other side. And you know what? It's exciting because uh, we look at this and we go, man, this is just a fantastic miracle. I love the story of Joshua. And, and but you know what, what I'm guilty of really in my own life is, is, is I'll look at the story and I'll go, man, this is awesome. Look what God did. And man, let's go and take Jericho. And we flip the pages as if the miracle's over. But the reality of it is, is the miracle wasn't over yet. There's an important place. In fact, there's an important command that God gives them that needs to take place. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 11.
Starting in verse 4. From the NIV, it says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set the twelve stones, set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the Ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. I love this because this picture is this. The whole nation crosses over, right? Just imagine this. And in the middle of this raging river where it used to be is the Ark of the Covenant standing firm. The whole nation is now through. And it's at that point that God speaks to Joshua and he says basically, hey, it's not finished yet. I want you to get 12 people. And he makes it personal, one from each tribe. And I want you to send those 12 people back into the obstacle, back to the very place where my presence is in the middle of the impossible. And I want you right at the feet of the priests who are holding this ark. I want you to bend over and I want you to pick up 12 stones, one for each tribe. Not one, but 12. From the middle of the impossible and bring them back to the other side. And the whole time, God's presence is in the middle of this obstacle. They're all on the other side, but it's not over yet. And so they send 12 people back in, and and they get those stones, and they carry them back to the other side, and and they set them down. And at that point, and only at that point, do the priests with the Ark of the Covenant now move out of the very middle of the impossible and walk back out to the other side. And as soon as they get to the other side, the river runs at flood stage once again. It was just as impossible as it once was. Do you know what I love about this? God says, I want you to go back into the impossible and take emblems and elements of this impossible thing, this very thing that declared that that, that I was a liar, the very thing that declared and stood against my promise to you, the very thing that said you will never come through. You take things from that obstacle in the very middle of it and you bring it out to this side and it will become a memorial that declares my authority over that obstacle and my authority and my power over a flooding, raging river. And so God uses elements of the obstacle to make a memorial for him that says, man, he is worthy and he is powerful and he has real authority. And and you know what the other thing I love is, is the reasoning behind this is this. He says, in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? 
tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So God commands them. This is a command, folks. This isn't a suggestion. He doesn't say, hey, why don't you think about going and getting a couple stones and coming out here? He says, no, before this thing is over, you go and do this. And he says, and this is why. Because when your children ask, I want you to tell them this story. You know what it says? In the middle of this miracle that everyone perceived was for them, and it was for them, God was thinking way past them. Man, God was thinking about their children. God was thinking about their children's children. And God was thinking about you and me. God said to them, basically, this miracle may have been one you walked in, but this miracle is for all generations. And this miracle is for your children. It's for them to to walk up and go, man, dad, what is with that weird pile of stones right there? And maybe dad's in this place where he's facing some kind of trial, and he's overwhelmed by the trial, but in that moment, he looks back to this this pile of stones, and he begins to recall, he goes, well, son, those stones are actually not really from there. They're actually from the middle of that river. I can only imagine, and again, this is a hypothetical conversation, but, but, but dad, how did those stones from the middle of the river get over here? Well, let me tell you, it wasn't just the middle of the river. The river was flooding. You know how it floods at, at harvest time? The kid goes, no, you're, you're kidding me, dad. There's no way that those stones came from that river in the middle of harvest time. And then the dad begins to say, no, let me tell you what happened. God told us to move, and it was impossible. In fact, we camped for three days next to this river, and it was crazy, and we were scared, and we were afraid, but, but we, we, we dared to trust God, and we moved towards him, and, and he went into the water ahead of us, and the kid's probably going, no, you're kidding me. There's no way this happened. No, it happened. And he walked, and the waters parted, and God told us to go in and get stones from the very middle and come back and build a memorial, and he's told us to do this so that when you asked, I would tell you this story. And during that whole encounter, what's happening? Dad's faith is being built as he's recalling the miracles of who God is and what he does. And as he's recalling this story to his son or his kids, that obstacle that he's facing actually gets lower and lower and lower because he's reminded of how God's faithfulness increases and increases and how strong his God is. And his kid, his faith, although he wasn't there, begins to increase and go, man, well, I know my dad doesn't lie to me. And man, if dad said that, man, that must be true. Wow, I want to serve a God like that. Wow, I wonder if God would ever do something like that in my life. And this bit of expectation begins to grow inside the life of, 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 of children. And that when God begins to talk to them, they're almost expecting this kind of encounter when God might call them to the impossible. But man, they're going to stand on, on, what, on the miracles of what happened with their parents and their stories and the memorials that have been built. And it's those memorials that are going to launch Launch them forward, going, no, he did this for my father. He did this for, 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 for other people. He will do this for me too. Isn't God awesome how he works? But what happens when we don't build memorials? What happens when we don't give glory to God for the miracles he does in our lives? See, God commanded us to do this. He was thinking about your kids. He was thinking about my kids. Man, even as we read this today, our faith is encouraged, right? What happens when we don't live in obedience? What happens when we shrink back in our faith? What happens when we become terrified and we stand in our complacency and we go, oh God, I'm waiting for the obstacles to be removed first before I even move? Will we ever have the testimonies? Will we ever have the stories? 
We always say, I always thought God was going to do this, but it never happened. Is it that it never happened, or is it that you never moved? Is it that, is it that, that God just changed his mind, that God never fulfilled his promise, or is it that I failed to trust, and I failed to walk where God wanted me to walk because I didn't believe him enough? You, you know, let me, let me back off and say this. The miracles in your life do not belong to you. You understand that? The miracles in your life do not belong to you. You may have walked through them, but they belong to him. And they belong to your family. And they belong to your children. And they belong to other people. How, much, how many miracles in our lives are left basically hidden within ourselves where we never tell anybody about them for whatever reason we come up with? Maybe it's too personal. Maybe it's too embarrassing. I love what Phil says in his first service, too. Phil got up here and he said, you know what? Back when I was younger, I was, I was basically a drunk and I was getting high in excess. I was doing all kinds of things. I guarantee that when he was younger, if he was standing here, he would have been hiding that. He wouldn't come to the whole church and say, hey, let me tell you, I'm currently drinking and I'm smoking marijuana. I just want you to know that. But now he will stand up here proudly and declare who he was and now who he is because of the power of who God is. That's true in all of our lives. The things that we once tried to hide because they shamed us, we spent our lifetimes trying to convince people we were good people or we are good people. Then we get saved and we declare from the, from, from the mountaintops that how bad we once were. Like, man, I was horrible. I was terrible. You have no idea how bad I was. But let me tell you who my God is now. And all shame is gone at that point because we're now pointing towards who Jesus is and his saving power and life-transforming power and authority in our lives. But how many memorials in our lives are left unbuilt, uh, unerected? How many stories have you shared? You know what sometimes is? I understand protecting our kids from some things, but we've got to be careful. If your kids never know about your challenges, they will never experience your victories. If they never know about the challenges and the obstacles that you face and that you've had to pray through that are terrifying, how will they ever celebrate God's faithfulness and his victories in your life? Right? I remember at age 17, and I've probably told this before, but I actually saw this in a new light last night as I, as I was prepping this. At, at 17, I was in the Army. I'd gone through boot camp. I was in airborne school. And, and obviously, you guys knew I grew up a Christian in a Christian home. Um, I didn't do drugs, I didn't do any of that stuff. In fact, I found myself for one of the first times with a beer in my hand at age 17 at a party, off post, you know, just being cool, whatever I was being. And I was just standing there, and God began to speak to me. And I felt him say this to me, so, so, and is this who you are now? Everybody's partying, and I'm just standing to have this conversation with God. And in that instant, my mind began to replay every miracle that I ever witnessed in my life. But they weren't my miracles. In fact, I even remember saying this. I I remember this very well, very clearly. I remember as I stood there, I was standing right next to a lamp. This picture will never go away. And I, I started recalling miracles. But even as I recalled them, I was thinking to myself, these aren't my miracles. These miracles belong to my parents. I recalled memorials, if you will, stories my parents had told me about God's faithfulness and how terrifying different situations had been and how God had provided. I recalled stories that maybe I lived, but I wasn't praying about. As a kid, I was just following my parents who were following God. But I, they affected my life, but they weren't mine. 
And so as I recalled all of these miracles, you know what I ended up doing? At the end of that, uh, that, that little encounter and conversation with God, I put that beard down and I said, no, I have seen too much to walk away from him. I know he's real. And I put it down. And you know what? I walked away from it and I didn't pick that stuff up again. Can I tell you something? It was the memorials my parents had built and told me about that kept me on track. It was those memorials of God's faithfulness to my parents that he brought back to my memory saying, you've seen me do this. You've heard about me do this. Now, in spite of all that, who are you going to be? I want you to make an informed decision, someone. And I could say this, man, they weren't mine if they were his, but they were mine. Because he allowed them to penetrate my life and my heart. And I changed because of the miracles and the testimonies of my parents and the memorials that they had built. What kind of memorials? You know, when you verbalize and vocalize something and you speak it out, that's a memorial. You don't have to go and put stones up somewhere. You don't have to go build something. When you start communicating what God has done in your life, that is a living memorial. And those words stay true in our, in our minds. Are we keeping our kids from this stuff? You, you know, kids leave the church at an alarming rate, right? They, they, they get to college and, and, and they just kind of walk away from God. Would that change if we had the courage to step out, out of our comfort zones in obedience to God? And would it change if we started communicating in truth and honesty how scary it is and we actually start sharing our testimonies with our kids and our families? God said this was for them and their children. Your miracles is for you and your children. Don't keep them from your children. That's going to be their first experience. You can start spoon-feeding them a little bit of who God is in their lives when you begin to share, yes, how terrifying your miracles were or your situations were, but then how God provided and you are building your kids up. I know it made a difference in my life. But you know what we can do with our own miracles like we like to do in Scripture? We can basically jump from the miracle to the next miracle and, and, and how we want God to, to keep providing and opening ways for us. And that's fine and great, but there's a side to it. We can't skip the, the side that God says, now this is what you must do in return. I've done this, now it's your time to do this and, and declare my glory and my authority. Man, we skip that way too much in our own lives. And we rob each other and we rob our children of hearing the testimonies of who God is and his power. How would our children's lives change? How would life change? How would ministry change if we actually began to do what God commanded them to do at that time? Memorials reinforce faith. They provide opportunities for teaching. Lori and I have, you've heard us talk about this, and it's not to elevate what we do, but in fact, we have to update it. But we have this curio cabinet full of little things. Sometimes it's a picture and a frame and, and, and a piece of cloth. And whatever it does is it triggers a memory in our minds of a miracle that God did for us. And, and it probably looks crazy to someone who walks up and goes, what is this? But you know what? When people walk up to us and say, what is that? It's a teaching opportunity for us to declare who God is. Our kids who, who weren't really um, old enough to know a whole lot at that time um, can pretty much tell you what they stand for because they are memorials that live to exist and, and exist to glorify God. And they can say, well, this is what happened here. And this is what God has done here. And we're building them for our kids. When God does something for our kids, we'll put it in there and go, Courtney, that's yours. Remember, that's what God did for you. 
And, and so when you're discouraged, you can go and stand in front of something like that. Man, and you start recalling what God has done, it builds you. It changes you. It doesn't just worship God, which is what it's meant to do. But in that, God lifts you up as well. How are you doing that? How am I doing that? How do we know that there aren't miracles right now or testimonies in this church right now that somebody in the row behind you is desperate to hear? And you've been sitting on it for years because it's what God did for you. But God actually wants you to share it. And if you would share it, the person behind you would be blessed by it, encouraged by it. We did this first service. We went sharing some things. Some amazing things happened. This one lady was talking about this lady who was dying of cancer. It turned out to be somebody else's sister-in-law, and the healing had happened. And it was just really cool. They had no idea they were connected by this one person. How do, how do we know? God says this is for all of his people. This is for you. This is your miracles for the person behind you. It's for the people that you haven't met yet. Your miracle, maybe you should go on Facebook and, and put your miracle on Facebook. You know, people may be able to argue, well, I don't believe in Jesus because of this, but they can never argue with your story. And then when you start telling your testimony of who God is and what he's done for you, that begins to open doors and lower barriers for you to be able to walk with them. It doesn't lead to an argument. It leads to a conversation and experience to say, this is what my God has done for me. You want proof? I am the proof that he lives. My life is the proof. And let me tell you some stories about what he's done in my life. You know, we've been praying, and we feel God is leading us towards some, some faith moves, which are huge. And, and I just want to say that when God brings us a building, we will build a memorial to him. We will take elements of the, everything that declared it was impossible and we will put them together. I don't even know what it'll look like and we will use it to glorify him and say, this is who our God is. And I want when our children come in and their children's children come in and they see it and they go, what does this mean? Well, let me tell you how God moved. And if he moved for a building, how much more would he move for people? He didn't die for a building. It's not about a building. That's the byproduct. It's about him and us reaching people for his glory. And because we're moving into beings to him, a, a, a byproduct of that is that we need a building to house these people. But if he'll do that for a building, for brick and mortar, what will he do for life? What will he do for you? We've gone long. And I have to wrap this up. But I do want to take two minutes your stories, your miracles aren't just for you. What are you sitting on this morning? What has God done in your life that you've never told anybody? What are you holding back on? If you have something you want to share, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I mean it, 30 seconds. I'm holding the mic, I'm pulling it away. 30 seconds to say what God, the problem, and then what God did. Just raise your hand. There's nobody in this church that God did anything for. We need to pray harder. Uh, so, uh, over the last couple of years, God has been speaking to me uh, when I was in the Army and called me to leave the Army. And um, basically that was meaning leaving my income source and having a trust in Him. And so I've been going to school, and the GI Bill's been paying for it, but it's not the same of what was coming in. Since I got out of the Army, which was um, just a couple months ago, I've had two checks come in the mail that was unexpected that has helped to keep the funds coming in, and that's God. 
Amen. God creates a way. Is another hand. Good morning. Um, when we went to the retreat last week, I have a, a problem with my legs. And then they, whenever I stand up too long, they will swell a lot. And I said, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do at the retreat, but I want you to hold on to the swelling. Even if it come back, that's okay. But when I'm there, I want the swelling not to come. And during the whole time, we were over there. And even when I came back, the swelling were gone. God is good. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jack. And um, three years ago, me and my girlfriend at the time, we were dealing with a very evil spirit, very vocal spirit. And it was the devil himself. And I literally gave everything I had for her and for myself and my family. And by the grace of God and his almighty power, he saved me and her from, from death. Because death came before me and God gave me life, more life than I had before, a stronger life, a more faithful life a more powerful life, and I still hear him out there, but his voice is a lot more quiet than it was before because I know the truth, and God is the truth, and he is all I need, and I just wear his cross every day, and I draw strength from him. Amen. And, and that, was, that was my story. Amen. Good. Amen. One more. Is there one more? All right, Stella, you have to kind of join me halfway here. She's going to make me walk. Good morning. Um, I've been struggling with migraines. And Pastor Rennie, you need to hear this. I started um, jogging a few months ago. I literally had a migraine every other week until the last four days. I haven't had a migraine in three months. So I praise God. Praise God. I want to close us in, in prayer, but I want to say this. You have stories. You have miracles that God has done in your life. I know some of them are challenging. I know some of them are, you almost, it's almost too personal. But they do not belong to you. They belong to the person sitting next to you. They belong to your children. They belong to this church family. If you will give God the glory, he will do more things in your life. Man, we, 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 time is short, folks. Jesus is coming back soon. Man, let's tell the stories that he's given us. Let's tell of his faithfulness. It was never about sharing the story in this service. It's about sharing the story in your life. I want to challenge you, before you go home today, go tell what God has done in your life to someone in this church, and don't let it stop here. Go out to your workplaces. Find God will bring people to you. Listen, the Holy Spirit's already moving. He will line people up who desperately need to hear what you have to say. And when you move in obedience to him, you have the ability to transform their lives by his power and his authority and who he is by you just being obedient and telling them what he's done. You have no idea the relationships that will form from this. You can make friends with your worst enemy just by moving in obedience to God. This message was never just for us. It's for a world of hurting people who live in darkness. His word says, you are the light of the world. 
when you go into your workplaces, it is his light moving into darkness. He has positioned you there for that light to take over that darkness. You know how you start? By giving him glory for what he's done. I want to read one scripture to you. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Let's give God the glory. Will you stand to your feet? Lord Jesus, we come before you. We praise you. We worship you. God, we ask you to forgive us, Lord God, for, for sitting on the miracles, Lord God, that you've done in our lives. God, we ask you to forgive us for not yelling them from the mountaintops, Lord God. God, we just pray, Father, that you would give us the courage inside to share what you have done in our lives, even if it's really personal. God, to share it with our kids, to share it with our family members, our church family, God, and those, Lord Jesus, that you lead us to in our everyday lives, Lord God. And we pray, Father, that this would change the way that we live, Lord God, that we would no longer receive just blessings and miracles from you for ourselves, but we would take them, God, and spread your word, Lord God, to everyone that we come in contact, that your name would be glorified and only your name and that your kingdom and only your kingdom would be built. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. I know we, we, we normally have prayer up here right now, but we've got to get to this meeting. If you go get your kids and do what we ask and come back, we'll get started. We love you guys. God bless.